Welcome to Working Dog Radio. Broadcasting the Bite. This episode of Working Dog Radio is brought to you in part by the best training conference on the planet, Hits K9 Training and Conference, www.hitsk9.net, or call Jeff Barrett, 863-529-5113. We'll see you there. One of our other great sponsors, be sure to check them out, Ray Allen Manufacturing up in Colorado Springs, rayallen.com. Be sure to use the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off. Spell it out, get the discount. Everyone knows Ted and I are huge fans of Dogtra. Uh, we use all their products, lots of stuff. Dogtra.com, use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off a single item over $200. All right, everybody loves drag and drop the easiest way possible. The easiest way to get a kennel up and running is to get them from Horizon Structures. Go to horizonstructures.com or call 1-888-447-4337. Make sure you tell them that Working Dog Radio sent you. There you go. One of our newest sponsors and one of our favorites, Kinetic Dog Food. Kineticdogfood.com or call 512-279-8966. Get your dog on the right track. One of our other fantastic sponsors that are run by the Heiser, some of the best people in the industry. We love those guys. Uh, looking for a reputable canine kennel with dog sales and training services? They're located in sunny New Smyrna, Florida. Southern Coast Canine provides services worldwide from purchasing your next single or dual-purpose working dog to handler courses and seminars. Southern Coast is a great resource, so check them out. And where you can check them out is Southern Coast Canine. That's letter K, number 9.com, or give them a call, 877-903-DOGS. That's dogs. We get asked all the time what happens to all the working dogs once they retire. If the dogs are lucky, they get to retire with their handler. Sometimes those dogs are expensive in their retirement due to health issues sustained from injuries on the job or old age in general. That's a heavy burden for a lot of the handlers. Enter organizations like the Georgia Police Canine Foundation. These great folks assist law enforcement agencies with life-saving supplies and equipment for our canine officers and help provide assistance for them in their retirements. It can be hard finding an organization with dogs' best interests at heart, but we strongly encourage you to check out Georgia Police Canine Foundation. Great people doing great work. All right, we are back. Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. I am Ted Summers from a soon-to-be uh, tornado-y Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, Eric, as always, is with me from Canton, Ohio. Eric, is it spring yet up there? You still wearing hoodies? <laughs> um, I should be wearing hoodies, but I'm trying to fight it. Um, you know, because of all the corona stuff going on, I just scoop up dogs, drive up to the facility, lock myself in there so I don't even really need them. Yesterday was actually pretty nice, but um, I don't know. Today was... They're saying my snow here Friday. I said, if it snows, I'm on murder spree. I can't take I qu- it. I quit. <laughs> it was 94 degrees here today. <laughs> yeah. Travis, being from Alaska, is uh, he was like, this is hot. I'm like, we still got 20 degrees to go, dude, or... 2025 20 i was like this ain't shit so you're about to have bad season <laughs> he's like seriously i didn't think it ever got that hot anywhere i'm like oh yeah i promise believe that so um you got a smoke machine today right yeah i got the fog machine in i'm getting uh, yes. the bluetooth speaker um i guarantee yes. you in that building that i'm in uh i could fill a of the fourteen thousand square foot i bet i could fill most of it with this uh fog machine so <laughs> um, that yeah. um, makes it for some fun times. There's no windows. There's like no, oh. 
nowhere for it to go. And it's old buildings, so it doesn't have like, yeah, it doesn't have like uh, uh, smoke detectors or anything like that. So it's going to get stupid in there. Excellent. Um, yeah, so I don't have anything going on other than we got a bunch of green dogs. Uh-huh. Travis and I are working like, we got like 16 dogs. It's a lot that he and I are working in Scott, and we've been tracking. I had two departments. I had a department in today uh, from Bourbon County, Kansas, best county name ever. Um, they were down doing some getting ready for recertification and stuff. But other than that, um, I had one of my other departments show up to work just today just to get some hours in. So uh, Corona apocalypse hadn't really bugged us that much. So it hadn't been too bad, thankfully. So for that, I am grateful. Um, so what do we got going on tonight? Um, well, you tell me. We got um, a guest that we've been you know, hoping to have on for a long time in the uh, kind of a theme that we've been going through for the last few weeks is, uh, um, you know, the last few episodes has kind of played out for us really well. Um, so do you want to go ahead and introduce our guest? Cause, uh, I'm super excited. Yeah. T- tonight we have on, uh, Jimmy Hatch. Uh, Jimmy was a handler for, um, Dev Grew and now is a running Spikes Canine Fund, um, among other things. So Jimmy, how are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me, you guys. I really appreciate it, and I'm really glad that you asked Emily to be a part of it because yes, I'm not was, very smart, and she can handle that. <laughs> I was about to say, you're the face, and then we also have Emily on, <laughs> who Emily is going <laughs> to answer all the questions about Spice Canine Fund. So um, let's talk a little bit about, aside from, because you know, we interviewed Toussaint, and then we interviewed Chesney, um, and you guys are all there around the same time. Um, there was a book published that you're um, actively, you know, the Touching the Dragon thing. And so talk a little bit about, um, you know, how Spike Fink, Spike's uh, Canine Fund got its name. Talk a little bit about that whole process. I was a SEAL and I was a dev group and they asked me, actually wrote a paper in the 90s that um, because of one of our target sets, you know, man, we need to cover a lot of ground and we need to, find people in some really small spaces. And, you know, I think maybe a dog would help us out there. I was a pretty big dog fan as a kid, you know, grew up reading where the red fern grows and old yeller and call of the wild. And I was kind of had this romantic notion about dogs. And the truth is I still do. <clears throat> At any rate, they, um, they started the army had started a program. And uh, I remember when I was in seal training, my favorite instructor was a guy who had been a Vietnam handler, um, he was a SEAL Team 1 guy, and he had uh, a couple of dogs in Vietnam. And he was really neat, and I really liked the way that he he was super patient. It seemed like the dogs helped him, or maybe he was that way before, I don't know, but I really liked the dude. So anyway, they were going to start a program up, and there was a Master Chief SEAL involved, and he had kind of been running it, and I was uh, attached to its squadron, and they just, you know, they, they asked me, and I said, hell yeah, I, w- I want to do it. So... They went to Holland, uh, got a KMPV dog, and his name was Spike. They brought him back, and I was scared to death of him. And uh, <laughs> the first day I met him, I brought a bunch of Slim Jims and fed him, and he was like, okay, we're cool. Uh, it was good. He was he was kind of push-button, you know. I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, in retrospect, I look back, and, and I know that dog carried me through, you know, the two deployments we did together. The second deployment was in 2006 uh, in Iraq. And I sent him on a guy and the guy started fighting him and I put some bullets in the dude and one of the bullets went through into the dog and killed him. And I was running back to the 
where the medics were with him on my shoulder and I felt his, you know, breath leave. So it was pretty tough. And I, you know, of course I didn't deal with it. I just went on with work and drank whiskey and, you know, all the stupid things. And, um, had another dog after that. I actually got fired from that dog. He bit the hell out of me and, uh, it was pretty funny. <laughs> he was a tough <laughs> dog. And we went out on missions where we were, um, we were in violence like almost nightly in a pretty grand scale. And so that dog was really busy. And I think after a while, he just got to the point where he's like, you know, cause dogs don't understand bullets and he's biting these dudes and we'd shoot them and they'd be dead. And so he's like, I killed that dude. So, uh, one night I took him for a run after a boring mission and we got into a fight and he, he kind of won actually <laughs> laid me open pretty good. Uh, I got fired. They sent the dog to work with a kid who was later killed. Um, and that dog, my second dog's name was Toby. He was blown up by a guy wearing a suicide vest and, uh, he was an amazing animal, super violent. I loved him. And then after that, they fired me from dogs. And so I was like a middle manager kind of guy. And we worked with, I always had the dogs near me when we were on missions. And, um, I got out of the military after I got shot up when Remco saved us, you talked to Tucson, so you guys know that story. Uh, and I was really messed up and I tried to kill myself, put a gun in my mouth and, uh, police got involved and I'm, I'm a product. So spikes canine fund of good policing. Those guys came to my house and they could have, they could have at least thrown me a good tasing, but, uh, they were cool and they helped me. Um, they made me feel like, you know, they, they gave a shit. So it was really, I was expecting a fight and I was kind of hoping they'd shoot me in the head, but it didn't, it didn't go that way. And, you know, so I say this thing when I give speeches, never underestimate your ability to affect the trajectory of another human life, especially at their most vulnerable moment. And that's what those guys did, man. Anyway, so they helped me get into some mental health treatment. Um, I had about, I had 18 surgeries on my leg after I got shot up and then, but I actually spent more time in mental health facilities than like, you know, orthopedic facilities. So I got out, I couldn't really find my way in the world. And I went to the department that had helped me out the night I was suicidal. And I went to their dog guys and said, Hey man, I'm, I'm Jimmy Hatch. And I just, you know, I want to help you guys. I, I did a lot of stuff overseas with dogs and, they probably didn't need me. You know, they probably just saw that I was hurting. And so they kind of put their arm around me and I'd been to a decoy course with one of the officers and, uh, man, they just, they brought me in and let me take pictures and wear the bite suit. And, um, I really enjoy that stuff. It's sanctioned violence. And, uh, and then one day one of their dogs got sick, needed a surgery and they couldn't, the city, for whatever reason, you know, bureaucracy, uh, they couldn't fund it. So, I was kind of bummed out for the handler. Uh, I know how he felt, you know, he had this good dog that had kind of proven himself on the street and I, I didn't know what to do. So I took a picture of me and Spike uh, and I went to a friend who knows how to do Photoshop and he made a logo uh, with those four stars on it. And each one of those stars represents a dog that I was in combat with that was killed. Uh, printed up some sweatshirts, put it on Facebook, and I made a lot of money, a lot more than I thought I would. I didn't realize how much people love dogs, and I didn't realize that people would throw money at the dogs, that they loved them that much, you know. Uh, so I made enough money to pay for the dog's surgery and to pay for the officer to drive down to NC State and get it done, uh, and I had money left over, so I kind of took off from there. And I'm, you know, I joined the military the day after 17, so I'm not. I don't have an MBA or anything like that, but what I do have is a bunch of really good people around me that help me out. So 
I had friends who understood how those things worked. I got some really good advice from some very successful people and um, we're almost five years into it. I, I will say that uh, I'm blown away um, every single day by the support we get. And when you're involved in a nonprofit, there's a couple of things you can't be. You can't be a socialist because <laughs> you wouldn't <laughs> exist. People didn't make money. And you really, you, it's, there's times when you get down, but for the, by and large, you cannot be a pessimist because you, you exist and your organization exists because people, uh, they give a damn about what you're doing. And so that when people donate to us, it's an investment in our mission. And I, and I'm just blown away by it. And I, uh, you know, the truth is it's amazing. And I owe those dogs, dogs saved my life. And I owe law enforcement because, um, you know, I've been, I'm 50, I'll be 53 here in a few weeks and I can't remember a tougher time to be a cop, you know, and, uh, those guys, you know, they didn't have to be kind to me. Uh, and I see it on the regular now. Um, I see, I'm much more in tune with what goes on in the law enforcement world and it's just made my respect grow. So anyway, that's the quick down and dirty. Excellent. Excellent. You so, probably had to give, you've given that speech a few times. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I, I don't mind. It's worth it. I mean, I think if, if we can get people invested in what we're doing, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, um, kind of the misnomer about running a uh, 501 is that it's easy and that it's <laughs> <laughs> and money just comes from everywhere. You don't have to have money to start it. I mean, there is anything I, I've heard all of the misnomers about about starting a 501 and the fact is i mean it's like starting a business even though you're not making money but i mean it is i mean it's a it's definitely not an easy thing to do that is for sure you know you mentioned the mission a little bit so emily why don't you talk a little bit about what um spikes canine fund does um there's several um canine like charities that are involved some focus specifically on equipment some focus, focus specifically on dogs some are a little broader so why don't you talk a little bit about the mission and what um the fund does sure and thanks again for having us here yeah, for um, sure. so we help out working dogs and that's uh, police military and search and rescue both active and retired uh, with equipment needs like ballistic vests seat alarms gps trackers and then also medical expenses if they become sick or injured and that's in their retirement too um, and today we've helped over a thousand dogs. We're at a thousand and eighty-one, and we're in forty-six different states. Oh wow, awesome! That's great. So, I'm I uh, I'm in Ohio, and um, I just retired from the police department, running canine units uh, in the end of two thousand eighteen. And we have a um, bunch of the guys in in the training group that I belong to that got uh, vests from Spikes. You guys. Um, seem to have a pretty good foothold, so to speak, like a relationship with agencies in Ohio. How did that come about? We do. Uh, So we have a board member that's actually based out of, um, he works out of Dayton, Ohio. And um, he actually became friends with Jimmy before the charity started. And um, just thanks to him, we were able to do some work there. And I'm going to let Jimmy answer the rest of it. So we had a we had a woman that volunteered from um, Mason, Ohio, yeah, and she resigned yeah. from her position. I guess probably a little over a year ago, 
but she did a lot of that footwork and she introduced us to, you know, John Neal, who works down in Cincinnati. And he actually, he was really, he did us a big solid. Uh, and because he worked with Donnie Meese and um, the folks in Cincinnati, they taught a class to a lot of the different departments in the Southern Ohio, Northern Kentucky area. So because of those guys and the introduction that we made with them, they kind of, the word got out and, I didn't realize how much work canine work was done in Ohio. I mean, I, I was looking at the numbers when I first started and um, like San Diego had 600 and some odd deployments a year. Uh, Montgomery County, Maryland had almost 1200, I think uh, Indianapolis that we put best on all their dogs. They had, I think in the 800s, but Ohio, <laughs> you guys have some crazy people there. Now. <laughs> yeah. They bite people there. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my my unit had seven dogs, uh six dual purpose dogs. Uh almost every dog while I was there retired with over 100 bites, some 150, 175. Wow. So it wasn't yeah, it wasn't um unheard of for the dogs each dog to have, you know, deployments and usages well into the hundreds every year. We we definitely worked a lot. Um Ted and I are pretty really familiar with the guys down in Cincinnati. We've Oh, yeah. Some training with them down there. Good dudes, man. They, their training group down there gets at it. Yeah, Johnny does a good job for sure. Donnie makes is a good dude and does a good job. Yeah. Yeah. We love those guys. Talk a little bit about the early days of like um, the fund from both of your perspectives. Because, you know, I think when these things start up, uh, you know, because Eric and I have been on Ritland's podcast and he's done the whole thing about, um, you know, starting the Warrior Dog and then. You know, we've had Jason Johnson on. We've had several people, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I'm just gonna do this, and it's gonna be fucking easy." And to, and I can, t- I I know where you're, what you're gonna say. Like the amount of requests that you're gonna get, that you get, is insane. So because we and we've had Christy Schiller on from Canines for Cops, and you know the amount of requests that come in for assistance is I I from what I tell, from what I can hear, is overwhelming. So um, do you guys remember like how it started, and do you remember the first dog you helped, or what the dog's name was? Yeah, so the first dog, uh, Rooster, and he was the one who got hurt. And he had a basically had to have a throat surgery. He was a KMPV dog, I think, that probably got overcorrected. I'm sure you guys have seen that. So, mm-hmm. uh, and then we, when I had that money left over, and I was on social media, and I don't know anything about social media, I started getting requests. And one of the first dogs after Rooster, um, was a dog that had served nine straight years in Afghanistan and had a spinal injury. And we bought him a little wheelchair, you know, it was like a nice one, but it was six or $700. And I remember thinking, wow, that's a lot of money. <laughs> and it just kind of went slowly uh, at first. And we were really trying to figure out exactly what the mission would be. But then the best thing that happened to Spice King ever happened, Emily started volunteering and she works her ass off. And I remember the first event we did, it was at a ballpark. We couldn't sell any swag and we couldn't, um, we couldn't ask for donations. We just had pamphlets that we could hand out. And I, and I wouldn't let her use any pictures of me or Spike because I thought that was not cool. And so we weren't really, we didn't have a lot to communicate. And so we're sitting there with our little table and all these people are walking by and nobody's stopping. And I'm like, man, this is crazy. So, we're wasting our time. So I went to the bathroom and when I came back, Emily's sitting there by herself and there's like 30 dudes around the table. I'm like, okay, here we go. (laughs) 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 She, um, that first year was really kind of hit and miss. 
uh, I had some really good friends that helped kind of steer us, help us get the 501c3 stuff drawn up by a law firm and had some people help me out understanding exactly how, you know, to do business and what was important. And then towards the end of the, that first year, Emily had been working really, really hard. And I talked to my wife and I said, hey, man, I want to hire this girl. Emily was working as a vet tech. She wasn't making a whole lot of money. She's pretty happy, but she wasn't making a lot of money. And I really wanted to hire her because I knew if we were going to be able to help dogs, I, I needed to have somebody that was smart and knew how to talk without cussing and didn't look like somebody who'd been run through a cheese grater like me. So I talked to my wife and she's like, yeah. And I was scared to death, fellas. Like, you, you know, I didn't realize how expensive healthcare was and I didn't know how much <laughs> money, you know, and I remember being really scared and asking her to work for me. And I remember her first day at work, we drove from here in Norfolk up to Roanoke to work with some guys. And uh, we talked on the way up there got there, went to work, and there was a really big dog that, you know, one of those dogs that some dogs like to bite you because it's fun and they're having a good time, and some dogs really want to hurt you. Well, this this dog really wanted to hurt you, and I thought, okay, good. So I put the bite sleeve on Emily, and I said, hey, go out there. She'd never done this in her life. <laughs> I don't know if I'm, if I'm comfortable with that. And I said, I, I don't give a fuck, and I pushed her. <laughs> and she, man, yeah. she, she did a good job. And, and then on the way home, she was... You know, we're driving in the dark. She was cranking on that computer and organizing things and using these things called, I think they're called spreadsheets. And anyway, man, the <laughs> bottom line is called she, she's a hero because she dealt with me, a crazy person. Uh, she got us on our feet, like organizationally. And, and now she kind of drives the bus. I decided that uh, I wanted to go to college. So... I thought about it and I asked her and I knew we'd be in good hands with her running everything. She already kind of did every way or anyway. And, uh, then she took over and here we are. So, uh, Emily, Ted kind of hinted at it a little bit earlier about, uh, a little bit of the, some of the misnomers of running a 501 C three. If you have somebody in any genre that's trying to get in 501 C three, what are some of the pitfalls that you have seen that maybe guys, people can avoid, um, to be successful? I think, well, social media and your getting your contact list together and, and those things organized is really important. Um, just getting your brand out there. It's, it's a lot of grind at first. Like we set up tables everywhere we could just to get our name out there. And as soon as we had enough money in the bank to buy t-shirts, um, you know, we did and we invested money into our store and that's been huge for us. That pays for all of our overhead. I think find some people that work just as hard as you and um, that, you know, believe in your mission. And with the help of volunteers, anything can happen. The other thing we found, because we have a uh, uh, in Ohio, uh, the group that I trained with, we have a thing called the Police Canine Association. I was the head trainer for that for a long time. It's a, been a 501c3 for a long time. I think they formed in 1985. Um, the one thing we learned after we had a we had a dog killed in the line of duty, uh, Jethro, we had a lot of money come in, um, and then we've done a lot of fundraisers and, and raised a pretty significant amount of money. When you have guys, it's just us, a bunch of cops running it. You know, our whole board was cops, yeah. canine guys, and it, we had we ended up hiring an accountant. And the one thing that we learned was, even though it's a 501c3 charity, saying that it's all com that 
that you never have to pay taxes on that money can be a slippery slope based on the way you're set up. Oh, yeah. Um, do you see pitfall? Do you see people make mistakes on that? You want to talk about that real quick? Absolutely. Yeah, and that's, that's another thing with your nonprofit. You want as much money as possible to go to your program, and that's something we strive for every single day. So we strive for at least, you know, 80 cents and above of every dollar donated go to the dogs, straight to the dogs. But you have some charities that, you know, just 10 cents is actually going to the program cost. So it's important to do your research when you are donating to charities because it, it's, it's easier for, you know, people to collect donations and say it's going to one thing, but it could go to another. Yeah, we see that. Yeah, and what people don't realize is if you raise so, a certain amount of money, you actually may have to pay some taxes on it. So uh, it can be really dangerous yeah. for folks. Um, well, that's one thing we really learned was hire professionals. Uh, the board yeah. is still, you know, has police. But our, you know, our, our board still has cops on it, but it's, we have civilians. And then hiring the accountant was probably the best thing we did because he's like, uh, yeah, yeah, you guys suck at this. Like, you're yeah. not good at all <laughs> at record yeah. keeping. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. We have a really good accountant. <laughs> Yes, yes right, is, exactly. Absolutely um, needed. Oh, yeah. We're going to go ahead and take a break here real quick. When we get back, uh, we're going to get into the um, vest, which I think is probably what Spike's canine is, is most known for. We'll be right back. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. We're going to take a break real quick, uh, and we're going to pay some bills, and we're going to address some of our fantastic sponsors. Hits Canine Training Conference is going to be the first one. This is America's premier canine training sp- seminar packed to the brim with some of the world's best instructors and Eric and I, you know, we're going to be teaching the scenario based training seminar uh, that revolves around the HRD company that we also have. And, uh, you know, we're going to do the whole dog and pony show. Eric's going to tell us jokes and I'm going to talk about case law. There are going to be other instructors that are going to be covering great topics from case law to admin, to bite work, to detection, to tracking everything in between for all working dogs. There's no better place to learn and no better place to network with other handlers, breeders, and trainers. HITS 2020 is being held in Scottsdale, Arizona this year from August 18th to the 21st. So hurry up and register. And I know all of you listening, wait to the last damn minute to, to register. Don't do that because the price goes up. Go to HITS K9, that's letter K number nine, dot net, or call Jeff Barrett at 863-529-5113. Make sure you get signed up. Come to Scottsdale. I hear the hotel has a wave pool that you can surf in. So uh, I'll, I'm bringing my board shorts. And Ray Allen Canine Manufacturing, it's no secret that we love Ray Allen Canine Equipment. We use their products every single day. Their mission statement says it all, to be a world leader in quality and innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport to exceed our customers' expectations and delivery on time, every time, at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe they've held true to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything dog one of the longtime sponsors of working dog radio from the beginning has been highland canine in north carolina tactical police canine aka highland canine in north carolina offers training seminars and consulting globally for police military and non-government agencies they provide customized training programs to address specific problems and meet the needs of your organization check out their wide array of handler courses instructor courses supervisor courses and online courses at tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. Uh, Jason and Aaron Ferguson are two of our 
most favorite people, and they have been with us since the beginning. So hit them up. We get it. Fueling a working dog can be tough, but they need that high-quality food to give them the energy and nutrients that they require for the work we ask them to do. Kinetic Dog Food has a great balance of healthy meats and grains and is made specifically for working and sporting dogs. They have a full line of foods and supplements available, and they've been working to perfect their line with thousands of dogs in hundreds of departments across the U.S., and you can buy it locally, online, or at Tractor Supply. Okay. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with the one and only Dogtra. These guys are producing some amazing tools in the dog training world. Everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, ball training, bark collars. If it's electronic, Dogtra is the best. They are truly revolutionizing the way you communicate with your dog. Plus, they give us a great discount code. Go to Dogtra.com. Everybody hears me say all the time, you can't teach dogs to bite people and act shocked when they do. Inevitably, I get bit. You've all heard me talk about how I get tagged and being tagged by a dog sucks. So I've used quick term <laughs> to help myself. Uh, but before I had to go to the doctor's office, uh, it, it definitely helped keep down infection and everything else. And I've had some uh, non-scarring because of it, too. So it's pretty good. But it's no exaggeration. The stuff is great. Once daily treatment for any skin condition on small wounds to help stop little issues from becoming big ones that your admins are sure to love. It comes in a spray, it comes in an ointment, it comes in a dressing. Quick Term is great at creating protective barrier and promoting wound healing. There's no reason not to have a bottle of this in the patrol car, your kennel, or your first aid cabinet. Plus, it's, it's uh, temperature stable. So you can keep it in the patrol car when it's cold, when it's hot, whenever, and it'll still be good. Make sure you hit them up at vetcare.us and use the discount code 10WDR for a discount on your first purchase which is going to be 10 percent. have you ever dreamed of having your own kennel but don't know where to start horizon structures has taken all of the guesswork out of building a kennel everything is pre-built to your specifications and preferences and then assembled and dropped off at your land boom new kennels and these things are amazing you've got to see them to truly believe them their website horizonstructures.com is a one-stop shop. Build your best kennel, your favorite things you want. Check it out, horizonstructures.com. All right, everybody, we are back. Uh, Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. With us is Jimmy Hatch, the uh, founder of Spike's Canine Fun and author of the amazing book, Touching the Dragon. Um, if you haven't read the book, uh, I'm shocked, you know, and canine especially. Uh, there's a lot of people uh, who have read it, and uh, it's amazing. I don't know. I'm sure you get a lot of uh, upticks in sales randomly every once in a while, but it's, a, it's an amazing book, Touching the Dragon. We also have with us Emily, who is the Director of Operations for Spike's Canine Fund. Um, we're going to get into talking about uh, things that they provide. Uh, it's a great organization. Um, I personally have interactions with that organization as a uh, trainer that we were outfitting vests because our, our training group had 38 dogs when I was the trainer, so we... Um, we got, you know, right away, we got vests from a couple different, you know, a couple different groups. And then I know lately they've settled into Spike's uh, Canine Fund, getting a lot of those. So, guys, um, back in January of 2016, we had a canine for Canton PD where I was the head trainer uh, named Jethro. So he goes out at night. He gets shot and killed by a guy robbing a uh, grocery store, burglarizing grocery store. 
Uh, he got shot five times in the chest and once in the face. Um, the big, the big outcry that came out of that was why wasn't he wearing a vest? And that started all that. Now, the reason why he wasn't wearing a vest is because we, like everybody else had bought vests that were like World War II flak vests is what they seemed to be. Um, they were uncomfortable. They were impractical. They didn't work as far as the dog's ability to move. Jethro was 105 pounds. Uh, it just, what, I mean, we tried it. It just didn't work for him. But, um, so I'm curious, that's not, that's not the case anymore. The, the vests I'm seeing on the dogs, the vests we get from Spikes Canine Fun are pretty much like everyday wear vests. Like you don't have to just throw them on like a plate carrier. You know, they are something they can work, you know, on wearing a whole shift. Do you, if you can get into the kind of, um, I want to say the iteration of that, like the uh, evolution of the vest since you guys have even been doing this. Yeah, I remember uh, when Jethro was killed, and it was right before we had a dog here at the Norfolk Police Department, Krieger, get killed. And um, Yep. So Literally the day before, This is really funny. Yeah. Um, this is actually kind of funny because I – just had an incident. You, you were mentioning the, the forums on Facebook and I got on there and I put a video of me skydiving with one of my dogs. And, and I said, Hey, you know, this is a canine storm vest. And you know, this is what we provide. It's the best in the world. It's been proven in combat. I use it on my dogs and I had some dudes get really pissed off um, because they felt like I was aligning myself with a not a non-American company. And uh, anyway, bottom line was, <clears throat> I used that stuff in combat and um, not the ballistic ones because the stuff that we were fighting in other places, you know, that we're using 7.62 by 39 rounds and rifles. And it was, you know, that the dog wouldn't be able to work in that. But the same vest that I used over there, um, Canine Storm makes with ballistic stuff. And I remember um, looking when Krieger was killed, I, I went down, one of the officers called me and I, he told me, and uh, I was I was horrified because I know what that feels like. And the guy, you know, um, Officer McNiff, who lost him, like he was despondent. I walked in there, he had the dog on the table with the American flag, and I went over and looked at the x-rays, and the guy shot him with a 380 twice, in the, like right behind his shoulder and then right in the midsection, and it killed him. And I, and I was like, you know what? That dog would have lived if he'd had one of those ballistic vests on. And so I started um, – doing what I could with Canine Storm. They already had a good system in place. I didn't know much about them because I wasn't a law enforcement guy. And like you mentioned earlier, most of the vests that I'd seen, honestly, were donated by another, there are a bunch of different organizations out there, but the, they weren't custom fit to the dog and, and they had really cheap kind of hardware on them and the guys just wouldn't put them on there. In fact, I mentioned John Neal earlier in uh, Cincinnati, one of the big things he did for us was he got on the news standing there and he got in the back of his car and pulled out a vest that had been don- donated to him. He said, I'm never going to put this on my dog. It's crap. <laughs> and then he took one of the vests. That we <laughs> Johnny. Said, this is- oh. Yeah. Right? I ran on the news. I'm like, damn, dude, thank you. So, um, look, here's the deal with, with Canine Storm. And I know there are good vests out there. I just haven't used them personally. And I know Jim, you know, the guy who started Canine Storm, he was a canine officer, got shot in the face with a shotgun, he's blind in one eye. His family makes the stuff, it's guaranteed for life. And 
honestly, when we first started, um, Emily in particular really started to look at how they did business because they're really thorough. And we thought, okay, look, this is simple for us. We provide the vest and Canine Storm has the best service in the industry. If, if something rips on the vest, it's guaranteed for life. You call Canine Storm, they send you a bag, you put it in the bag, it goes to them, they fix it and they send it back to you. The only, the only outlier to that is if you let your dog chew up the vest. But we have only had, I'd say, a handful of repairs that have needed to occur. And uh, we've provided, I think, close to 600 vests now. And they're bomber, man. And like I said, they're guaranteed for life. So it's my name. It's Spike's name. I know the stuff. I've jumped out of airplanes really high altitudes with dogs wearing their stuff, and it held together. So that's, that's kind of how we have our relationship with them. And they're really, really good people, and we feel good about giving stuff to other people that we respect made by people we respect. It's good. So real quick, just on a little side note, based on our interview with Will and what he told us in the interview about jumping with um, Cairo and actually never getting to jump with him because he wasn't good enough at skydiving. So the (laughs) fact that you got to jump with your dog, that obviously means you are better than Will at jumping out of airplanes. If you want to break his (laughs) balls at all, feel free. (laughs) <laughs> I think anything like that. The only I, I was better at everything than Will, except <laughs> having a happy, happy ending to my book. You know, my, my dogs got killed, and Will, uh, you know, he got to keep Cairo, and that's that's good stuff. Um, no, in all in all seriousness, jumping was kind of my my deal. I was um, a, a free fall instructor at the Army's um, free fall school, and I just loved jumping. And so I spent a lot of time um, trying to make it as safe as I could because any job we had to do, almost any job, if we had a dog, we'd be safer and more effective. And so I really wanted to make sure that we could utilize that asset whenever possible. And so, yeah, it was a really big deal to me. And look, you know, when we first started working with them, with Canine Storm, when I first started, they came to fit uh, some other dogs. They had already fit Spike, and the vest was there, and it had those big metal D-rings on the top. And I went to Jim, and I didn't know him. And I said, hey, man, this shit don't fly. It's loud. It's heavy. We need these to be Kevlar loops, and they need to be able to take 1,200 pounds dynamic force. When, because when you jump at a really high altitude and you open your parachute really high, it comes off your back like a bomb. And so the dog mm-hmm. is essentially the tip of the whip. All that force comes down the line into your chest and then the dog. And it has to hold up. And so Jim went home to Canada about three weeks later. I started getting pictures where they were testing stuff. And he said, hey, man, I had to buy a $20,000 sewing machine to sew this Kevlar so that it could handle that kind of pressure. And dude, you can tow your truck with those things. <laughs> it's and it's all no, the vests we nice. provide now have those have those loops. Uh, during the commercials, we were all kind of talking about um, <clears throat> the process of like having a dog on an apartment, and you know, in the military, especially in the unit that you were in, and some of the other units that are like that across the military. Like you guys don't really have to ask for anything. You just they like this shit just shows up. And you can get whatever you want. Well, 
the law enforcement side, I, I'm surprised, and I we were too, about how we're like, you know, a lot of admins, they're like, what do you mean we need something other than a dog? I'm like, well, you got to have, like, all this other shit to go with it. I mean, it's not like, I mean, he's just like another officer, aside from the fact he can't drive. But, I mean, you know, he's got to have equipment. He's got to have specialized equipment. He's got to have a specialized cage in the car. There's a whole list of things. But you guys started out with the, with the Spikes Canine Fund, uh, with the vest from Storm. Uh, but now, Emily, you guys also branched out into Hot Poppers, too. Uh, was there a yep. specific incident that happened, or did a department come to you and say, hey, we need this, or how did that come about? While I'm not, I, I don't um, want to diminish the need for ballistics for canines like the vest, that doesn't help single-purpose dogs or search-and-rescue dogs. I mean, the vest do, but for, right. like, you know, getting fucked up on, like, rebar and whatever else. But um, every single working dog, no matter what they're doing, is susceptible to heat. And um, so yeah. was there a specific incident that happened, or was it just kind of like, oh, normal extension or what? Yeah, actually, well, we had some requests for them, and looking into it, more dogs had actually died from being in a hot car and the engine dies and, you know, the officer's answering a call or in court and engine shuts off and the dog overheats and some more dogs have died from heat exhaustion than a gunshot wound so we saw that was a need we've helped quite a few dogs um, with heat alarms and we've actually had some even give us feedback saying that the alarm went off and you know if i didn't have that my dog would have would have died and then there was a guy here in virginia that we got the hot and pop from his canine and he was doing a traffic stop and it turned bad. The guys started beating him up, um, trying to drag him into the woods. He pushed his hot and pop. The dog came out, leveled the playing field, and helped him arrest the guy. So he could have saved his life. So it's multi-purpose. Yeah, you know, that's, oh, yeah. A, yeah, that, that's something we train a lot. In fact, Eric and I were talking about that a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if we're talking about it on the podcast or just in a phone call. But, um, yeah, the, about the popper and about the, the officer safety thing. And I think we just did a video. Or Who did it? Oh, I did. Oh, fuck, I forgot. You did on uh, Patreon. Yeah, yeah, I did. I totally forgot. I'm like, oh, I know I just saw one. It was mine. I, we did a popping drill a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> all of our guys come through, and um, all the dog, all the dual-purpose dogs, anyway, have pop poppers, um, and we do a ton of popping drill exercises with all of our dogs and handler schools. In fact, one of my dog's first bites uh, was a popper bite, and the handler wasn't close to wow. the car. He was about 60 yards away, and the handler, when it happened, the handler told me, he was like, I knew it was going to happen. He was like, I was just listening for footsteps, and he was like, I knew the dog was going to nuke him, and he did. Uh, the dog ended up smoking that fool, <laughs> but yeah, it was nice. a similar deal. It got, it was, it got hairy pretty quick, and uh, yeah, he ended up biting that, uh, the, the dog ended up saving the handler, helping the handler, but yeah, I mean, it's a they are awesome. definitely multi-purpose, but yeah, single-purpose dogs are also susceptible to heat. Um, there's been several times where yep. um, one of the sheriff's office close to here, they were out training with us last summer, and it gets really hot here. And we had a, one of the cars, um, the uh, air conditioner compressor went out. Like It was 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and we didn't know. All of a sudden, it's sitting out in my parking lot, and the alarm starts going off and everything else, and it's super hot in the car, and the handler's like, oh, shit. So, yeah, I mean, stuff happens, especially with, you know, these cars are running if you're working, they're running. Like, you guys don't ever turn them off, so yeah. I'm glad. That yeah, there are a lot of departments I come across that get pissed off and bitch at their handlers for running their cars. And it's like, guys, it's air conditioning. we got to have it. It's it's a very strange thing. What yeah. is what is some of the I'm, – I'm sure you guys get requests for a lot of different things to be donated. What are some of the weird things that someone might ask for? <laughs> 
I wish you could see Emily's face. <laughs> She's looking at me like, <laughs> do we really want to tell them that? <laughs> We've had some guys ask for some pretty crazy things. Like um, we had someone ask us to buy them concrete and chain link so they could build a kennel for their dogs. Mm. Um, and, you know. Yes, tracker. So the dog kept oh, getting that, away from them. There's. What the fuck? Yeah. No, no, this is this is so fucking funny. Like I, I, I couldn't believe it. I got the email. So this guy um, was kind of a country fella, obviously, and he had his dog, and the dog would jump the fence and disappear for two, three days. It was a patrol dog, and then he'd show up, and so he's like, "Hey, man, I need a GPS tracker so I can track that damn dog down." And I said, "Well, I, I don't know that that's what you need, buddy." <laughs> yeah, I, it was it was yeah. crazy. There's another answer to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've had, we've had some people ask us to help them buy a car, um, and you know, initially when we first started, we were kind of like I said, trying to find our way about what exactly we were going to do and where we could best fill needs that were the most important. And so we initially started out thinking, hey, we need to build a kennel so these dogs that have been involved in violence and need a home, they can. They can go somewhere, and it turns out we can almost always find homes for those dogs. Um, so, and then you know, our board, smart business people, are like, "Hey, man, how many dogs? How many bulletproof vests could you buy with what you'd pay in rent on a kennel, or power, or water, mm-hmm. or taxes?" You know, so that's kind of where we're at. Like vests, uh, hot and pops, medical. The the, the need for medical. I did not realize how huge it was. Um, a lot of the dogs that are active, the, the cities don't have enough. Like that dog that got shot down in Arkansas last two Christmases ago. Yeah, it was rounds. just over the border the, the here. Cities, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the city didn't have it, so we paid for that dog to get fixed, and then we put vests on all the dogs in that town. And I, that makes me pretty happy. I, I didn't realize too that when the police dogs retire or even the military the dogs from my former unit they are not the military people or police officers and we don't get paid that much and being able to drop you know two grand on a surgery that the dog needs because of damage that he sustained while he's protecting humans you know we need to be able to step in and help with that so that's super important and i'm surprised that at how much of that we get. You mean to tell me the military retirement is not like tons and tons of money? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, right. I can pay my rent, you know? <laughs> yeah. There you go. That's that's the step. So, Emily, um, yeah. let's hear uh, from your perspective of being in the suit with that big killer dog coming at you. <laughs> I was terrified. I thought he was going to miss the bite sleeve and take my leg off or something. <laughs> but I actually enjoy it now. I've gotten in the suit. Oh, a few I times like that. Enjoy it currently means uh, you're doing more. Yeah. 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 I, uh, he puts me in the suit whenever we get the chance. And uh, we try to help some of the police departments that we're close with. And I'm always a volunteer for a decoy. Some of our best decoys at HRD are females. <laughs> oh yeah. So don't let, don't let anybody equal it. opportunity. Well, it's because you guys are smaller. We can stuff you in dark places that are scary. 
I'd have to go find him really <laughs> yeah. easier than some big ass dude like Christian Schamberg from up there <laughs> that big motherfucker in a suit. We're not gonna hide him anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Have you been have you been uh gotten into the Malinois world? Are you a dog owner, Malinois owner or anything? Have they suckered you into that move? I would like one, but I have a big uh French mastiff and he's pretty alpha. He's Ooh. I don't think you would like another. <laughs> but I have two French bulldogs too. So I got three dogs already and but maybe a Dutchie dog. Are your Frenchies jerks or are they pretty cool? Well, the one is yeah, she's a jerk. But the other one, he actually <laughs> has his own children's book that Jimmy wrote. So if you're not a fan of touching the dragon, um, or you have children in the family, we also have a children's book and it just shows the difference of a pet and a working dog. And my dog, Dewey, is the star of the book. What's the name of the book? It's called Dewey the Puppy. Dewey the Puppy. I like it. I'm going to write that down. What's your dog life like these days, Jimmy? So I have um, a Dutchie that I've had since she was 11 weeks old. A friend went to Holland to buy dogs, and I asked him to pick me up a a Dutchie female. Uh, And I trained her as best I could. And she has passed all her tests. She's technically a PTSD service dog, so she travels with me. Um, she'll bite a bite sleeve. Uh, I don't think she'd actually bite a person. I don't know, though. Uh, she's great to take the demos and to show kids, and she's great in public. And, and you know, like I mentioned, I, I go to school, so she goes to class with me, and it's awesome, man. The kids love her, and uh, it's really it's cool. So I have her. I have a pit bull from the shelter. We always, My family always has pit bulls because the shelters are full of them, and um, we love them. And then we have a French bulldog. Emily's French bulldog made me love those dogs, and so... I got one. I said I'd never want a small dog. The French Bulldogs, they are, they're small, like, giant. Like, their personalities are huge. They're a big pain in the ass. So, yeah, I got three dogs right now. And I'm, uh, my wife is probably going to murder me um, if we get any more. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, the Frenchies can be fun, man. You can, people, people, they're, you know, they're cool looking. They can, they can be like a Malinois as far as uh, without oh, the training dude. and exercise. And the mental stimulation, they can be. I've seen some Frenchies do some pretty wicked bite work. Uh, it's pretty, yeah. you know, for fun, but um, they have a good time. We get, I do, besides doing police dogs, I do pet dogs too. And we get, I don't know, half a dozen a year that we do. And I'm always like, yeah. Me and one of my other trainers end up fighting <laughs> over it. Because um, oh. they're, they're, they're a lot of fun. Then, then if the ones, are, the ones are real douche, I'll give them to her. I'll say, yeah, I, I'm busy. You can have this one. <laughs> she's never fooled though she knows she's like okay all right Who has, this one must so be an one a. of our friends one of our friends had one of those things oh daniel morris uh he decoyed for us down in texas at the hrd thing but he had mm-hmm. a little frenchie named debo that was just a prick that was that would do bite work and <laughs> yeah that dog was awesome i remember that yeah he would send us videos of that all the time. yes and i think who else has one doesn't rigney have one yeah, Rigney has one. I think Rigney has one. Um, Jimmy, you tapped on it real quick about uh, the dogs for your PTSD. We we just hear more and more stories from guys how the, having dogs is such a huge help for things that they got going. Yeah. Look, man, I, I got to tell you, I so I, I give speeches and I talk about, and I call around my ass for a hat and that's don't start for myself to drink and do, doing drugs and, and, you know, putting a gun in my mouth. So I give speeches and I get to meet a lot of people through that. And I get to talk to a lot of people. And I, I was at a college giving a speech and this woman came up afterwards. She was a professor, brilliant lady. 
and she and I talked about you know the dog saved me, and she said you know. I, not too long ago, I was going to kill myself, and I looked at my dog. She had a, b- a bottle of pills in her hand. I looked at my dog and thought, now who's going to feed that dog? And that's the only reason she didn't do it. I think uh, dogs, I mean, you guys, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir, but I just think, you know, dogs are amazing. And we're kind of just cracking the lid on what, you know, benefits they bring to humanity. And, and that's why, you know, we have to take care of them, man. That is definitely a theme. I, I have a question from you guys, for you guys. Yeah. Um, you guys do this kind of stuff all the time and you train and you've been in law enforcement. What, what is a need out there that we don't know about? Like what's going on that we don't know about that we can, that guys, that dogs need help. So the, you've, you're into most of it. The, the biggest thing that I saw, so so people would contact me that were starting up uh, charities and they were like, Hey, we want to, we want to do vests. And I'm like, listen, there's, the vests are done. There's there's groups that do it. There's vests. So I was getting people to focus in on um, the heat alarms, right? Because I, I'm just yeah. still blown away when I find out dogs are dying in cars. And then it's a, it's a they act like it's a huge cost. But we find because of the other companies that we own where we travel around and teach seminars and things like that is where guys need help is getting training paid for. Hey, I'd like to go to this seminar put on by, you know, uh, uh, Pat Nolan. Um, but my department absolutely will not pay me to go. That type of thing. And I don't know how much of a okay. slippery slope that could be. But paying <laughs> paying to attend further education. Because, again, I see it all over the United States. Ted and I, we talk about it at our seminars all the time. They just don't want to pay. They don't want, they don't care if the canine guys go get continuing education or advance themselves or get better. They don't care. What they, they only care about the tactical stuff. It's very strange. So guys, most guys that you see at a seminar are paying their own way out of pocket yeah. at a canine okay. seminar. So that, that for me is where the guys seem to need the help the most. They want to go, but you know, cops are like military guys. We don't make shit. You know what I mean? And right. to go to a four hundred dollar class is yeah, is just too much for some guys. You know? Yeah, okay. and that's and you know, you know, I mean, I, I have several handlers in multiple states that are on SWAT teams that are handlers that handle the dog that I trained on those SWAT teams, and they'll tell me it's nothing for the department to spend. Four, five, six, eight thousand dollars to send the entire team to a four or five day school for something extremely specific, right? So you got travel, tuition, food, whatever, right? But then they come back, and a lot of these guys are not, I mean, they're dedicated SWAT, uh, some of them are, but then we've got a couple guys that are on multi jurisdictional task forces where, you know, they're running for normal patrol operations, and then they go use the dog on SWAT should need be, but they're like, oh, if you got to do something outside of your normal training, that I do for free here in Tulsa, then they're like, oh no, we don't have the budget for it. And it's like, you know, I mean, and it's something that's legitimate, that is something that, that is directly related to um, like their job, not necessarily SWAT, but I mean, I say this and Eric and I say this all the time, that canine, no matter which, if you're in the military or if you're in law enforcement, canine is disproportionately put in the highest instance of use of force in any specialized job, and especially in law enforcement. And they're put in a position to either remove somebody's constitutional rights through probable cause affidavits or by biting the fuck out of them and taking them to jail. But 
there that's their only job they find shit and bite stuff or find people and find stuff and bite people like that's it so you know it stands to reason that you need an officer that's extremely trained a dog and an officer that's extremely well trained it's continued training that has excellent records that has all these things but anytime it comes up they're like no that's not good enough you get your certification once a year that's all we need and you're like no fuck me so it, it's right. an uphill battle um in fact hrd our hrd has I'm going to screw this up, but I think two or three tuition um, waivers per per seminar. So, you know, we did we were in front of almost 300 teams last year. So 35 of those, I think, were either paid for by a charity or were paid for by an anonymous donor so that some of these guys could come. And they were from small departments that needed to come. And I mean, they got a ton out of it. So they had a really nice dog, but they were like, I have no idea what's going on outside of this. So, yeah, training for sure. Cool. That makes sense. I think. What I worry about with that stuff is, uh, you guys know this better than I, but the, the canine world is traumatic. And so there's like little clans that go to this training thing and little clans that go to that training thing. And uh, right. it's like, it's hard to figure out <laughs> who the authority is in any given day. And uh, uh, it just seems amorphic to me. There's no real hierarchy or shape to it. Yeah. No, it definitely is very much a, it, yeah, it is the last um, kind of bastion of, of uh, law enforcement that is, I don't want to say it's unregulated, but, you know, it, we're kind of, I mean, anybody can be a canine trainer. I mean, there's no school for it. There's no, and even if there is a school for it, I mean, you get guys that have been tr- quote unquote training dogs for th- shit. Eric has a guy that lives next to him. He's been supposedly been training police dogs for 30 years and those motherfuckers wouldn't bite anybody if they had to. And so, you know, unfortunately, there's some homemade karate. <laughs> yeah, there's there's some fuckery that goes on, and you know, there's some other guys that I know that have only been at it that for five and six years, and they produce some man eaters and some excellent dope dogs, and they're just really good at what they do. But you know, it's kind of one of those things that dudes skate on. Um, and skate by on, I call it pencil whipping a resume. Um, unfortunately, I know in, in your portion of the world or what you used to do, like you can't hide. <laughs> like, uh, I mean, the guys in your unit would not allow that. You would not be able to hide behind poor work or poor work ethic. Um, in canine, you can hide behind a resume um, and people do it all the time. And if the first fucking thing somebody tells me is I've been doing it this long and this is how I do it because I've been trained. I've been a handler for this long. I know exactly who I'm talking to. And, you know, thankfully most of the, most of those dudes are starting to fucking retire, but yeah, they, yeah. they hide There's, behind. That went yeah. down a rabbit hole. Yeah. No shit. Now can I ask you guys another question? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Sure. So I think one of the things that we run into, um, both Emily and I is the bureaucracy with the department, like, like some departments we have to fill out a piece a paper that has to go to the city council in order to donate things. Some departments just flat out don't want the help. What, what would you recommend? Look, we spend a lot of our time trying to convince people that we want to help them and we don't really want anything, but a couple of pictures of the house we can show our donors where their money's going. And I, I, I don't know the deal, but people are like, ah, nah, you know, it's, it's weird. I, I'd like to figure out the way to do that bureaucratic stuff and be able to provide what we do. Well, some of the problem is, um, and listen, I could get way into the weeds on my distaste for uh, yeah. administrative crap. I was, I was about but, to say, speaking um, of rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. Right. One of the, um, the, the things, 
is this when you when you have the guys who don't when you have the guys themselves that don't want to um that that are like yeah nah like you reach out maybe to a trainer a training group uh of guys and they're like yeah we're okay man we don't usually that's because they're lazy they don't even want to take the time to measure their dog to size them for a vest and i've seen it in person it's a weird thing like it's five minutes but they yep. just don't want to do it because it's out of the normal coming to training, taking three shits, having four cups of coffee, fucking off for five minutes, and then going to lunch, and then sneaking out early. Um, it's it's an epidemic. Then when you come to the administration side of it, unless you get a forward-thinking administrator, if you get anyone, not anyone, but a lot of people that you're dealing with that were hired in the 90, 91, 92 era, for whatever reason, those guys, man, they're really strange in the admin side. I see, we see it all over the country, and they just don't want to do the work, and they think everybody's up to something. Like uh, we had a we had a food company that was giving a bag of dog food a month for every canine in the state of Ohio if you applied for it, and we did. We had all thirty eight teams do it um, for the Canine Association. I got accused of making backdoor deals and getting kickbacks and everything like that. I'm like. Just because you would do that doesn't mean I did it. What I did was save the city about $7,000 a year is what I did. So th- it's one of those things where, like uh, Christy Schiller at Canines for Cops was saying, they, they raise a lot of money. And she said, you'd be surprised how few departments ask for dogs. That's what they do. They provide dogs. They don't right. reach out to them. They don't ask for the money. Uh, they know it's there. They just don't do it, which always surprises me. But for you guys, my thing is, I ask you once or twice. We offer, we're giving, you, we're offering you the best thing on the market, the best vest, and all the other stuff to keep your canine safe and stuff. If you tell me no, like twice, I, I'm just going to move on to another place. Um, I, I, I can't help you help yourself. Um, and if I get handlers that tell me no then I know that they're just lazy. And it's an unfortunate thing, but it is a thing in law enforcement. And there's some, so on my end too, and I know this from dealing with, um, and I want to preface this by saying I'm well aware that the dog is not a piece of equipment. I get that. Now, as far as accounting goes and as far as like assets on police departments and stuff like that goes, the dog is 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 a piece of equipment. And as far as it's looked at in terms of black and white on paper, um, I know a lot of sheriff's departments, and it's mainly sheriff's departments, not cities, um, because those guys are elected officials, and they look at that kind of contribution stuff um, as sort of like Eric said, like you're asking for something, or you're buying a vote, or it, like it's it is kind of a quid pro quo kind of thing, um, a lot of times, and they have to they have to account for where every single round and every single tire and every single gallon of gas and every single man hour goes um, because it's an elected position. And then the other thing is, you know, if you were doing that, and that's like an Oklahoma thing, and if I were doing, in fact, we had somebody, a canine handler, just kind of get fired for that here locally. Um, So it it becomes a, not necessarily a business proposition, but it becomes like a, it becomes like a quandary of does it is it look suspicious or could it come back to like get us anybody in trouble and you know I mean there's a you know around Christmas time 
uh, we drive around and hand out like $5 gift cards to this locally owned bagel place to like firefighters and first responders and stuff. Uh, we usually get a couple hundred dollars of them and hand them out and just walk up to them and hand them to them. There are some guys on TPD that won't take it. Like they're not allowed to. They're like, oh, no, we can't. We, we can't take that. And they're like, thank you, but I can't take it because I'll get in trouble. Now, some of them do. But, you know, I mean, they take it for what it is. It's fucking $5. I'm not asking you not to take me to jail. Like I just saw you at a gas station, dude. So, you know, <laughs> I, I think a lot of it is um, – kind of like if you i don't know i guess if you'd approach it like um saying this was a gift from whoever and it doesn't even it can be anonymous i would imagine it, it, i i suspect the pushback you get is probably from from sheriff's offices eric i mean that's probably my i would assume that's probably it yeah the sheriffs and i think we any police department with a both. guy hired from 1990 <laughs> that's oddly yeah, specific yeah, yeah there you go <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, it was oddly specific. So, um, guys, Sp- Spike's Canine Fund. Um, let's talk about two different things here real quick. Uh, is One is how do people get donations to you because we know they want to, the, the folks that want to do it. And can someone donate to you for a specific dog? So they can go to our website to donate, caninefund.org. They can either donate straight from the website or go through our online store. We have some cool T-shirts and stuff, too, if they'd rather purchase some swag. And then as far as uh, donating to a specific dog, we actually had to change our policy on that because uh, we ran into an issue where um, kind of what we were just talking about, someone would donate and say, I want this money to go to this department in my hometown. We call the hometown. They don't want to. Uh, they don't need vests or they don't, they don't want them. And then meanwhile, we have a waiting list of dogs um, that do need the vests. And so those kept getting pushed back. So the way it works now, we have a waiting list. Um, we currently have 19 dogs on our waiting list for the ballistic vest, a heat alarm, uh, some medical care. And um, you can either designate your donation to a specific campaign. But we have three different campaigns, one for ballistic vests, one for medical care, and then one for non-ballistic vests, uh, GPS trackers, heat alarms. And, or you can just donate to our general fund, and that would be applied to the next dog on our waiting list. That's good. See, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I didn't know the, about before this about the medical care um, and the fact that you were into – I knew the heat alarms and the vests, but that's awesome to hear. Um, Jimmy, I do believe if someone is asking for a GPS system, you should – tell them to go to a recall training class first and uh, <laughs> see if we can fix it that way. It's just funny, man. Everybody's doing their best, right? You know? They are. A lot of guys just don't know what they don't know. You know what I mean? Um, we see a lot of questions I'm online. Guys are asked how to how to do some of the most basic things. And I'm, I always want to get on there and go, are you kidding me? How to out a toy? Are you kidding me? But then... You think about it, this might be a guy just all by himself and no one will help him. Um, so I just stay out of those. Yeah. But uh, guys need help. They don't even know that they need help, a lot of them. Um, so we're hoping maybe, you know, shows like ours and your social media and things like that, we can get it out there and and encourage guys, hey, ask. We have stuff. Yeah. Get Reach out. Yeah. You know, ask. We, we, we got you, you know. Need, it's weird that you need clients. You know what I'm saying? That's very strange. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what about social media? Where can people find you? So we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, YouTube. 
LinkedIn, we're on all of it. So if you just look Spike's Canine Fund, you'll find us. Um, you can tag us in something. We'd love to reshare it, repost. What about the book? Where can we find the book? Are they both uh, downloadable, the, the puppy book and Touching the Dragon? Unfortunately, Jimmy's book is not downloadable, but uh, Jimmy's book is. Or you can go to our store um, through spikescaninefund.org, and we have both books in the store. Awesome. I'll be buying that puppy book. Right yeah, now, I got grandkids. Yeah. I, yeah. Sure. I don't have grandkids. It's really good. I'll get it from We my have niece. signed copies, too. Oh. What do you know what's really cool about that book? Ooh. The Dewey book is that there's, we have a canine officer who works part time for us as our communications director. Emery is her name. And her dog's name is Argo. And so we had a guy who's tattooed a bunch of us, me included, probably, probably Will and probably Mike son too, a local guy. Um, and he did the illustrations for the book, but it's basically teaching kids the difference between a working dog and, you know, a regular kind of a pet. And, dude, it's been really well-received. I was kind of surprised at how big of a deal it was. Yeah, I have an idea for a children's book myself. Um, we may have to talk off the air because uh, I, I could draw a garbage can if I – or I couldn't draw flies if I was a garbage can, so. <laughs> Terrible. Well, Ted, you got anything else? I think we should share one more thing. Okay. One of the really cool things okay. about this is, is like, we're five years from when we started. But I was from this crazy unit where timelines were everything. And here's poor Emily. <laughs> and she, uh-huh. <laughs> she could tell stories for days about what it's like to work for a crazy man who will throw your burrito out the window of the truck if you're three minutes late. It's so funny, the difference between people. Yeah, it's funny now. Emily cried a lot, and I felt like a jerk a lot. (laughs) She must have believed in it, though. She stuck around. (laughs) That's right. She said, I remember the the first time she was late. She's like, it's 10 minutes. And I said, 10 minutes? Where I come from, if you're 10 minutes late, you get your head chopped off, and the helicopters leave you. And she's like, what? We were going to breakfast. It wasn't even a meeting. It was breakfast. A timeline is a timeline. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, that's a funny story. We'll have to write a book about at some point, too, man. Thanks, fellas. Excellent. Yes. For sure. No problem. Glad you got that out there. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. So everybody hit up uh, uh, spikescaninefund.org. We'll have links to everything in uh, the show notes and stuff so you can click it directly from the episode but emily and jimmy uh we appreciate it thanks for coming on we'll uh yeah we'll see everybody soon appreciate it fellas thanks guys our oldest sponsor our first sponsor and our good friend and a great dude all around arno at alm canine equipment uh his suits and his canine tugs and bite sleeves are some of the best in the industry his dude i have a whole array of different uh, hidden sleeves from him of all various levels of dogs. Uh, he has a discount code for us, which is amazing, WD Radio for 10% off your first order. ALMK9Equipment.com. Give, give him a shout, man. Arno is a good guy with great quality equipment. ALMK9Equipment.com. One of the original three sponsors that have been with us from the beginning is Tripwire Operations Group, LLC. They're an internationally recognized leading provider of products, services, and training for federal, state, local, 
and law enforcement agencies and military units. They are ATF licensed for explosive material manufacturer, importer, exporter, and dealer with a wide range of explosive products to offer, including custom kits. These kits are great for detection canine imprinting, and they have three different kits to choose from. These three kits combined create the complete picture for ex- the explosive threats of canines. Be sure to check them out, tripwireops.org. The music in this episode is used with permission by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at Brother Deeg, that's spelled D-E-G-E dot net. Be sure to check him out there or on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or anywhere you stream media. This episode has been edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt. Visit our other sites at patreon.com, look for Working Dog Radio, hrdpolicecanine.com, and look for the nearest seminar near you. You got your reasons, I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.